Hallelujah. Uh, what a saviour. I told you before, as American came one time to London and he went to hear the great Reverend Joseph Parker preach. And he came out saying, what a preacher. Oh, powerfully eloquent, with great poetic language, Parker could preach. That night, the same American went to hear young Spurgeon in the Metropolitan Tabernacle. And he came out saying, what a saviour. And of course, it's the saviour we want to see and get sight of tonight. And we want the people of the land uh, to see Christ as well. Uh, let's read together from the Bible. We're turning to John chapter 2. Reading, of course, from the authorised version. And um, <coughs> want to read at least the first 11 verses of, of the chapter. Let's hear the word of God. John chapter 2, reading from verse 1. And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And there were set there six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he saith unto them, Draw out now, and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they bear it. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the, bride, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom, and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine. And when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. Amen. We know that God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now my text tonight is taken from John chapter 2 and the verse 5. And my subject this evening is the gospel according to the Virgin Mary. Now, I have borrowed this title uh, from a story that was told of a converted uh, Roman Catholic. Uh, somewhere in the south of Ireland, uh, there was an individual who got genuinely saved. He was wonderfully born again of the Spirit, and he started to preach the gospel. And, of course, there was loads of opposition. There was tremendous persecution. There was even threats in this man's life. So rather than running away from where he was, he put an ad in the paper. He got a leaflet printed. And it had this sermon title, a strange sermon title, The Gospel According to the Virgin Mary. And of course, it was a good crowd to came to where the meeting was taking place. And he said in that meeting that the Roman Catholic Church makes too much of Mary. 
that they sadly regard her as the mother of God. They proclaim that she's a a co-redemptric or a co-redeemer with Christ. The man went on to say that the Church of Rome believes in the immaculate conception of the Virgin Mary. That is, she was born without sin. And he went on in the sermon to point out that she's not called the mother of God in Scripture. Uh, She's not revealed as a co-redeemer with Christ. It was never taught in the Bible that she was born sinless. And he kept on pointing out these things are not in the Bible. Search the scriptures for yourselves. And he emphasized that the church of Rome was an error about the teaching of the Virgin Mary. Now, now having said that in his introduction, he did admit that he hugely admired the Virgin Mary. He believed, he said, she was a woman to be extolled and highly regarded among women but not above women. And he said, I want to preach tonight the gospel according to the Virgin Mary. And he pointed them to this text of scripture. What? And his mother saith unto the servants, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Now there in that text is Mary's gospel in summary form. That converted evangelist from this very text, preached a very fine sermon that night and the Lord used it to save souls and to teach and educate others. Now seven times in the Bible, there's a reference to Mary, the mother of Jesus. Matthew chapter 1, 18. Matthew chapter 8, verse 14. Luke chapter 2, 43. John 2 and 1. John 2 and 3. John 6 and 42, John 19 and 25, and Acts 1 verse 14, seven times. See, that tells us something, and I'll tell you what it tells us, that Mary was a perfect mother. In each occasion, it was Mary, the mother of Jesus. Now, can you think of anyone else in the whole world who has a more positive influence on a child other than a mother does? Someone has said, behind every great man is his mother. Isn't it true that the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world? Think of a mother's love, a mother's grace, a mother's care, how it brings about a bond so close that it lasts a lifetime Either a positive influence for good and God or a negative one for sin and Satan. Think of the wonderful gift of a godly mother. Abraham Lincoln said, no man is poor who has a godly mother. John Wesley, he said, I learnt more of Christianity at his mother's knee than all the theologians in England together. Now here at the wedding feast, At the wedding feast in Cana of Galilee, it's in the north of Israel, there was a big problem arose. And it threatened to ruin the day. And what was the problem? They run out of wine. That was a disaster uh, waiting to happen. Mary, the mother of Jesus, then spoke to her son in verse 3. And what did she say? They have no wine. Now she got a strange answer. Woman. See, that's what he always called her. He never called her mother. Woman. What have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. Mary then in turn spoke to the servants. 
those that were waiting on the guests. And this is what she said. Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And I put that to you tonight, if you think about it, that's the gospel according to the Virgin Mary. Think with me of three things tonight. The heart of the gospel. Think of the words, he saith. He told the servants to go and fill six water pots with water. And then they were to go and pour out the contents of the water pots as if it was wine unto the governor of the feast and also to the bridegroom and to his guests. Could you just imagine these waiters? And they're saying, well, this man has told us to fill the water pots with water and then pour it out as if it's wine. If it's just water, we're going to get the blame. We're going to insult the governor. We will insult the host. The guests will be annoyed. We could lose, we, we could lose our face. We could lose our job. So they did as they were commanded. They pretended that the water was wine. In other words, they were commanded and told to do a strange thing. Something that was contrary to human reasoning and logic. Something that was contrary to what men think. Now let's ask the question tonight. How do you get to heaven? We'll ask it a different way. Lloyd-Jones asked this question in the book, Luther and his message for today. How do you become a Christian? And the answer to that question is contrary to human reasoning and contrary to human logic. If we were to go round the doors tonight and carry Duff, speak to nominal Protestants, speak to Roman Catholics as neighbours, and ask them, how do you get to heaven? Or how do you become a Christian? We would get answers that are contrary to what the Bible says. Because as far as men and women is concerned, when it comes to the question, uh, how do you get to heaven or what is the way to heaven? The, the thought would be, well, you've got to do certain things. You've got to join a church. You, you've got to perform a, a certain lifestyle. You've got to do this and that. You, you've got to engage in certain rites and ceremonies of the church. And baptism, of course, could be mentioned. Uh, and ocular confession. Uh, and church attendance. Uh, maybe even participation in the mass, etc., etc. And I want to tell you tonight, right across this province, Roman Catholic mindset alike, uh, and so-called Protestant mindset alike, they would speak Contrary to what the Bible teaches. And it may be that only one out of ten would give us the right answer. I asked in Kilwater at the end of the meeting a few Friday nights ago, which church saves? And the answer is none. And which minister or pastor saves? And the answer is none. Remember the Bible says, Acts 4 and 12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Listen to these words of Paul in Acts 13, verse 38. Be it known unto you, therefore men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins, and by him... All that believe are justified from all things from which we could not be justified by the law of Moses. Now you see, the words of the Lord Jesus 
hold the answer to each and every need. You think of the question put a different way. Not how do we get to heaven or how do we become a Christian? What must I do to be saved? Acts 16 and 30. And what was the answer? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Not a list of things to do or partake in, but believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Here's the crisis at the wedding. They've got a problem. What's the answer? It's the words of the Lord Jesus. Whatever he saith. It's he saith. And you know what we need to do in this country of ours? We need to get back to what he saith. In other words, we need to get back to the scriptures. The religion of the Protestant church is the religion of the Bible. The Bible is the book of the Protestant church. And those that are in the Protestant church, especially the ministers and the elders, ought to only and always teach and preach out of the Bible. It's what the Bible says. See, the Bible merely doesn't contain the word of God. The Bible is the word of God. Doesn't the Bible say all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness? The word inspiration is theonustos. It's God-breathed. We we have a God-breathed book. And what does the Bible teach? It teaches that we're all sinners before a holy God. Romans 3 and 23. Isn't it true today that fools mock at sin? Isn't sin mocked today? Regardless of what the Bible says. You want to know what sin is? Read the Ten Commandments. For sin is the transgression of the law. Doesn't the Bible teach that we've got a soul? Didn't the Lord Jesus say, What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Do you know tonight you're a sinner? That that you've got a soul? You know tonight that you need to be saved. Because the Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith. And not, not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works. And of course the Bible teaches that God has provided a, a wonderful saviour to deal with a serious problem called sin. You only have to think of John 3 and 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You see... We need to get back to what he saith. Back to the scriptures. Because the Bible proclaims the true and only way of salvation. And you see, Martin Luther, he come to discover, because he was brought up believing as a Roman Catholic, that there was no salvation for him outside the Roman Catholic Church. And the Church of Rome still preaches and propagates that dogma to this day. And he come to this discovery That's not true. There's no salvation outside of Christ. And there's a world of difference because it's not the church that saves. It is Christ that saves. And all the light that we need on the issue of God, who he is, in the issue of soul salvation, in the issue of heaven and hell, it's all in the book. It's all in the scriptures. And you see, sadly today in our wee province, the scriptures by and large have been cast aside. Cast aside in Protestant mindsets. Cast aside in many pulpits. 
Many preachers are no longer consulting the scriptures. Many preachers sadly reject the Bible as the infallible and the inerrant and authoritative and sufficient word of God. And you think of some that have grown up through the universities in the land. And those universities that were once bastions for light and truth and righteousness are now bastions for leftist propaganda and error and falsehood. Why? Because they've closed their ears to what he saith. They no longer regard the Bible as God's book. And if there's going to be a reformation in Ulster, if there's going to be a true revival of Bible-believing religion, then we need to return to what saith the Scriptures. Remember in Acts chapter 8, we thought about this this morning, the Ethiopian eunuch sitting reading his Bible in the chariot. And that's a good practice, young people. Read your Bible every day. And he was reading out loud. Some people have difficulty reading, but he was alone. He was sitting in the chariot and he's reading out loud. Do you know where he's reading from? He's reading from Isaiah 53 and we read that this morning. And he was puzzled. And there was a man came running alongside the chariot. His name was Philip. And when he read from Isaiah 53, he was reading his led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shears as dumb. So he opened out his mouth. He was a bit puzzled. He didn't understand it. And you know, that's okay. Because there's loads of things in the Bible that, that even I have difficulty understanding. Hard things. But you know, this man was asked, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he admitted that he needed help. Because the Bible says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolish unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he was concerned, genuinely. He was puzzled. He wanted to know, what did that scripture mean? Who's the prophet talking about, he said to Philip. And Acts 8 and 38 says, He started at that very same scripture. And preached unto him Jesus. You see the Bible centers in Christ. It's Christocentric. And there's Philip teaching him out of the word of God. That all that he needed was Christ. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. If you have Christ you have everything. And it's not just believing that Jesus died. But it's believing every aspect of his person and work. It's, it's believing in Christ. The whole Christ and nothing but Christ. And that's the heart of the gospel. And that's part of Mary's gospel. Notice secondly and quickly, the hearing of the gospel. If you go back to her text, she says, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Now, now this is good advice from the lips of the mother of Jesus. Remember, she's never called the mother of God in the Bible. Seven times the mother of Jesus. And she believed in her heart that it would be a wonderful privilege even for those servants to hear words from the lips of the Lord Jesus. And Mary's in the background. Jesus comes forth to the limelight. And of course the servants' ears have to be open to the Lord Jesus. It says in verse 7, Jesus saith unto them. 
You know what the Bible teaches? Romans 10 and 17, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And you, 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 you may not hear an audible voice today. Because the Lord primarily speaks to us out of the Holy Scriptures. This book that's infallible, this book that's inerrant, this book that's authoritative, this book that's sufficient. Remember Naaman the leper? And he went to the house of Elisha the prophet. He had leprosy and he wanted to be healed. And the wee maid told him that, that there was a man in Israel that he could go to and be healed of his leprosy. And whenever he came and knocked on the door and he was told what to do, go wash seven times in Jordan. Remember, he was furious. And one thing that he said to his friends that were with him, I thought, I thought, he never imagined, go wash seven times in Jordan, that dirty, filthy river. If you've been to Israel, you know that that's exactly what it is. His friends said to him, well, if the prophet had asked a hard thing, would you not have done that? And then he came to his senses. And it was only when he washed the seventh time in the river Jordan, he was cured from his leprosy. And you see, the Bible has to speak to us. And we've got to set aside what we think and our human reasoning and logic and the, the abundance of thoughts and the counsel of men and the reasoning even of learned men has got to be set aside as we listen to the word of God. Think of the words, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And what a wonderful privilege it is to hear the word of God. Young people, don't ever despise that. If your parents brought you to a Bible-believing church, then you thank God for them. And thank God for their wisdom and putting you under the sound of the word of God. Because the Bible says it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that could believe. The Bible asked the question, uh, 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 how, how can they believe in him and whom they have not heard? And you think of the many in Northern Ireland tonight that have never heard the gospel once. Whether Protestant or Roman Catholic, there's the hearing of the gospel. And then one final thing, there's the heeding of the gospel. Think of these last two words in verse 5. Do it. See, what does the Lord want you to do tonight? What's his call? And his call is exactly this. Repent ye and believe the gospel. In John 6 and 29 we read, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. And that word believe means to put your trust in. It means to adhere to. It means to rely on. This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. It's not do this or that. It's not behave. It's not live out the Ten Commandments. It's not follow the teaching and the Sermon of the Mount. It's not live by the, the golden rule. No, it's believe. John 3 and 16. He that believeth hath everlasting life. John 3 and 36. He that hath the Son hath life.
And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth in him. Remember again in John 6 and 35, and there's many references that we could turn to, and it says there, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth in me shall never thirst. Again in John chapter 11, verse 25, whenever he's talked about, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Now, do you see the emphasis on the scripture? This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he hath sent. So many false teachers today, it's behave. How do I become a Christian? How do I get to heaven? Keep the Ten Commandments. Live out the Sermon on the Mount. Keep the golden rule. You know, it's another gospel. It's not the gospel of the New Testament. The gospel of the New Testament is repent and believe the gospel. How many people adopt the mindset today, well, I'm not too bad. Oh, I'm a sinner, but I'm not too bad. Or others protest, but, but I'm not a sinner. I remember a wee woman in Donegal D protesting to me most strongly that she was not a sinner and she'd never done anything wrong. And I, I told her, dear, and she was furious. That is contrary to what the Bible says because the Bible says for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And I opened up the Bible and I, I, I showed it to her and I says, now, now, madam, does it say accept your name? And of course she was furious. We need to come back to what the Bible says about sin. And that's primary. And of course there's so many refuse to accept what the Bible says about sin. And that's why this alternative sodomite lifestyle is being promoted and talked about. Because there, there's ignorance and a negligence of what the Bible teaches constitutes sin. Remember sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. And the Lord Jesus calls men and women. To repent, be sorry enough to quit their sin. I talk about the soul's divorce from sin. And believe the gospel. What does that mean? Believe certain truthful propositions about Christ. It includes that. But it, it, it means coming to the place where you actually trust Christ in a moment of time. Remember the, the Philippian jailer was told, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. I, I think of the publican and he was called on the Lord, God be merciful to me the sinner. We need to come back to what the Bible says. We, we need to adopt the mindset that, that we need to adhere to Christ. And we need to rely on him because that's the full meaning of the word believeth in the Greek New Testament. It's present continuous tense. I, I, I have trusted Christ. I am trusting Christ. I'll continue to cling and tr trust Christ. You think of the banners and the Times of parades, especially around the 12th of July. One banner in particular where you've got an individual clinging to the cross. And the, the word is, my faith looks up to thee. That, that's continuous. Is that the type of faith you have? Do you believe in Jesus Christ, the whole Christ? And nothing but the Christ tonight? You see, here's the gospel. And the heart of the gospel's here, he saith. And the hearing of the gospel, it's a wonderful privilege. For Jesus spoke to these servants. 
And Mary was telling them to listen to Jesus. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. But along with that, there has to be this glorious truth, the heeding of the gospel. Let me tell you this in closing. Think of the hold of the gospel. You see, the gospel brings tremendous blessing. When you listen to what Jesus saith, and you seek to do it out of a sincere, true heart, with grand, happy obedience, there's great blessing. There was many benefited at the wedding feast. It was the best wine ever. In fact, isn't that what the governor said? If you go back there uh, to the chapter, in chapter 2, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom. Mere boy, to have a wee word with you. And then he gave a, a thought. You know, every man at the beginning of a wedding, what does he do? He sets forth good wine. And then whenever they've drunk, and I believe it was real wine, and maybe somewhere a wee bit tipsy, he says, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. In other words, it was the best supply. It was abundant. It, 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 it satisfied the soul. And, and I want to tell you, once the gospel gets a hold of an individual in a family, not only is your soul blessed and benefit because you've got God's salvation, but your whole family can be affected. Fathers can bring mothers under the sound of the gospel. Mothers can bring fathers. Mothers and fathers can bring children. Children can bring parents. I remember hearing the story uh, of a little girl and uh, she was uh, praying for her daddy at a gospel mission, I believe. Uh, Dr. William McRae was the preacher. And she prayed for her daddy to come to the mission. And he, she pleaded and pleaded and one night he came. And uh, whenever he was going in through the doors, he slipped behind him and pushed him and says, Now, Lord, I brought him in. You save him. And, and she had faith to believe. You see, it brought blessing. The little girl's soul had been saved. And she had a love for to see her daddy one to Christ. And also it glorifies God. When we obey him by doing his bidding. How God is glorified. I said last week. Thinking of Fanny Crosby. Remember she was blind from the age of six. <laughs> D.L. Moody asked her, he visited her, if I could grant you one wish, what would it be? And this was her wish, that I would be blind for the rest of my life. And the first face I would see when I get to heaven would be the face of Jesus. You see, that's the hold of the gospel. When the gospel gets a hold, it brings blessing to others. And that's what we need in our province. We need the gospel to take hold. Uh, the faith that saves and justifies is the faith that sanctifies. Uh, and the Lord bestows upon us a, a, a prepared and, a, and practical heart. We, we, we have a perpetual and prompt obedience to, to those things that he says. And we, we seek to live a holy life and bring glory and honor to the Lord. It was Luther said, and with this we'd finish. In the first thesis of the 95 theses that he nailed to the door at Wittenberg. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent. 
He willed the entire life of a believer to be one of repentance. The whole of the life. A life of continual repentance toward God. A mourning for sin. A hating and loathing it. A nigh to God's glory. Seeking to, to obey and love and honor and serve him. See, that all comes about when the gospel gets a hold. Let me tell you tonight. Do you know anything about the heart of the gospel? Do, do you understand that the religion of the Protestant church is, is, a, is a, a Bible-centered religion? And the Bible only? Have you heard the call of the gospel? Have you heeded that call? Have you repented and believed yourself? Has it got a hold that has benefited you? Not only personally with all the blessings of salvation, but benefit your family and brought glory to God. You live now with a desire to please and honor him. That's the gospel, according to the Virgin Mary. And this is the gospel that will change and save this province to the glory of God. May the Lord bless these few truths to you this evening. Thank you for coming and thank you for listening.